everyone. My name is Ryan Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds podcast. This podcast is presented by Stats Coach. Stats Coach is a hockey analytics company which works with the minor and junior hockey community. For more information, visit www.statscoach.ca or contact statscoach at outlook.com. Today we're joined by Sean LaFortune, the Director of Player Development with the Owen Sound Attack. I was fortunate to meet Sean a while back and have connected with him a number of times, whether it be in the rinks or through conversation, as Sean created the Scout.ca, which as some of you may know, have helped me and others in similar positions progress to the OHL. As I mentioned in the previous episode of the podcast, Sean is very open and rarely holds back in his perspective of the game, and I think with his career having progressed to his current stage through a self-created path like the Scout.ca, I see few who can speak from the perspective that Sean can, which I feel will benefit many of the listeners. With that, I'm happy to present Sean LaFortune, the Director of Player Development with the Owen Sound Attack. Today we're joined by Sean LaFortune, the Director of Player Development with the Owen Sound Attack. Sean, thanks for coming on the podcast. Ryan, pleasure. It's, uh, I think we were just talking in our little preamble there. We're looking for any ways to distract ourselves, so this will be a nice little uh, couple hours where I can throw my brain away and just have some fun. Yeah, for sure. When I, when I started this podcast, that was uh, a big idea of mine. Just, you know, I, I just want to talk hockey and you want to get in, involved with people in the industry. So it seemed like the perfect way. So let's, yeah, for sure. uh, let's get into maybe your upbringing, uh, talk about where you're from and uh, maybe your involvement in sport during your youth. Uh, yeah, sure. I was probably uh, born in born and raised GTA, Mississauga and Brampton. But uh, as far as sports go, I was probably pretty typical to uh, uh, everybody who's, who's involved now with, with sports on a, either an on, on or off ice position. I was uh, fairly passionate about all sports. I, I, I was never very good at any of them, but I, I always participated. I always did my best to kind of just uh, uh, find out what my passions were with regards to activities. I was uh, played hockey all growing up, probably started around six or seven years old, right up until uh, 15 or 16, which is, uh, again, probably pretty typical for those of us who aren't uh, always the most skilled guys anyways but uh uh actually ironically enough I was a way better baseball player than I was uh, a hockey player but uh passion was always in hockey and I I would I would get my parents to drop me off to games three or fours behind beforehand and just kind of uh take in everything I could with regards to just watching and and, and taking it all in it was kind of funny I'd be the the guy at, at your local rink with my bag right outside the door and the, the other team's already is, is already got their bags there waiting so it was like uh any opportunity I had to kind of take it in and, and learn. And um, my parents always kind of rolled their eyes when I did it, but uh, it's kind of a harbinger for the future, I guess. Yeah, no, that's for sure. And everybody that we talk to on this podcast is kind of the same thing, you know, whether they, they weren't a great player like myself, I was a house league player out the whole way through, or some people went on to play a little bit higher level. Uh, they all have that passion for the game and uh, whether they were a good player or not, they were still looking for opportunities to get involved and, like you said, just being around the game and, you know, your parents maybe roll their eyes at different things, but, you know, it's what you're passionate about and, and it turned out pretty good for you looking at today. Um, yeah, I mean, so, I got no complaints about my, uh, I got no complaints about it all turned out, you're right. Yeah. So uh, looking forward a little bit, we were chatting about it there a few minutes ago. In 2007, you created the scout.ca. Um, for people that know me and a few others, we also uh, had a stint with that scout.ca and I don't think I would be where I am today without it. Um, how long did you think about that idea and how was it creating that service and maybe touch on working with people who are interested in pursuing scouting and ultimately how it all came about? 
Yeah, to be honest with you, it was something that was always kind of in the back of my mind just as a formation, but at no point did I ever um, take action on it until until I actually took action on it. It was uh, there was a formation in my brain about kind of minor hockey and, and covering it. Um, I wasn't sure what the structure would be like. I wasn't sure if it would be from a scouting perspective or a news perspective. I uh, uh, Dating things back, I was a journalism student back in Belleville and uh, Loyalist College, and that was kind of one of my passions at the time. Um, and I, I was lucky enough that uh, come in, in 2007, my uh, brother's best friend was on the Marlies and uh, they were playing a, a 90, 92 born year and they were playing a team that had John McFarland, Devontae smith Valley, Tyler Toffoli amongst others in the, uh, the GTHL final and, and just on a whim uh, me and my brother went to see his buddy play uh, and I was kind of captivated by the fact that it was such a an intense game with so much skill and so much um, just so much passion and and the crowd was full and it was neck to neck shoulder to shoulder so to speak and I was just I'd never been in that environment before and I always knew I wanted to kind of uh be involved in hockey in one aspect and I, and I kind of wanted to like I said previously report on minor hockey a little bit I wasn't sure if it would be from an OHL perspective an NHL perspective but once I I got in that rink I just was captivated by it right away and then uh as soon as that was done I, I found tried to kind of comb the internet for every possible information I could find about uh, the GTHL, the OHL draft, minor midget players there. And uh, at the time, maybe it was just because I wasn't looking in the right places, but I could not find anything with regards to information about it. So so that was kind of when I put one plus one to equal two as well. If I'm looking for this sort of stuff, maybe there's other people looking for this sort of stuff too. So um, things started forming in my head with regards to the structure. I, I spent the next, uh, I'm lucky being in Mississauga, I was able to spend the next five or six days at the uh, OHL Cup, my first one ever, and, and just kind of took it all in. And again, it was just this time you're more around scouts, you're more around uh, people around it. It just, it kind of, the idea kept blossoming and growing. And then over the summer, I, uh, I put the wheels in motion to start a independent scouting website called thescout.ca and um, had my bumps along the way. It was kind of a sole proprietorship, doing it all on my own to the fuse for years. Uh, the rankings, as, as to be expected, were not great to begin. But the content was 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 rich and uh, was lucky enough to catch the eye of a couple of people within the OHL who gave me some great pointers. Uh, was able enough to to make some friends, and then I want to say by year three or year four, the quality of the assessments, the quality of the rankings, the quality of the content got to a point where I was really happy with it, and then um, was able to bring on a couple of of guys to help me out to the point where. Uh, my last year, like we had eight or nine guys from different regions, um, content from top to bottom, player profiles, roughly five to 600 deep. It was, uh, I would challenge that year that I was there the last, it was probably one of the more comprehensive draft guides you'd ever find. And that was feedback I got from OHL types. And um, it was always a passion project of mine. And and to be blunt, I never expected it to be anything other than a positive project, but uh, uh, lucky enough for me, I caught enough eyes and uh, was captivated enough by it. And, and to be blunt, and, and I'm, I'm not a confident guy always, but uh, or at least I'm not a, a braggadocious guy, I should say, but um, lucky enough that I became kind of good at it. And uh, slowly soon after that offer started to come in and um, got an offer that I couldn't refuse with Owen Sound, and here I am today. Yeah, that's that's a great story. And and for those people who uh, maybe don't know your story and have viewed the scout.ca, it's 
it really uh it's changed over the years i mean there's always everybody who uh runs it and has their different things but it's always been a great resource and i thoroughly enjoyed my time there um you know it's still running today and you uh you touched on how it kind of progressed over time and got to a point where you were pretty happy with it um you know we've seen other people progress uh brendan ross andrew sykes Kyle craner to name a few uh, did you ever see it as being at the level that it ultimately reached? Like, did, was it surprising to see it reach that level? And um, did you ever expect it to be almost like a development league for future scouts? Like, what's your thinking on that? You know what? Uh, Two-part answer. Number one, did I ever expect it to get that point? Not at all. Um, it was more of a hobby, like I said. But I will say after year three or year four, when I started getting guys open and I started to get more uh, feedback from OHL types with regards to the type of content we were putting out and getting – um, to be honest with you, I was getting so many inquiries with people who were, were interested in joining and interested in, in coming aboard and kind of helping with. Um, my, my trepidation with doing that at first was that I, I, I didn't, wasn't very confident with regards to, well, twofold, myself that I had enough ability to lead or ability to teach because I hadn't really been in, in the game for that long. But, uh, and secondly, I, I felt kind of guilty that uh, I would ask these people to volunteer and be out of pocket financially to, to bring them on board. So that was kind of uh, what held me back from, from turning it into. But yeah, my thought process after things were financially viable and after things were, and I felt more self-confident with regards to being able to teach and felt like I, I kind of, you never master, but at least you have a, a strong kind of feeling with regards to how to do things properly, how to, how to write, how to rank. Um, then yeah, then I embraced that. Then I brought on a whole bunch of guys that, that, um had relative success and failures but uh, i i go back to that last year that i had there with the team that we had you mentioned kyle craner who was just promoted director of polypersonal with sarnia uh chris cameron who we brought on and owen sound and, and a litany of five or six other guys i i, I want to say that almost everybody from that final team is working in hockey at some point right now uh we've, we've got even guys that that a lot of people probably don't know about nathan diodone who's a uh, an agent at Top Sports with uh, Joe Resnick's team who represent guys like uh, Rick Nash and Joe Thornton and stuff. And, and uh, Kyle Cormier, who's now, I believe, uh, a sales executive with the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, there's such a vast variety of guys who've, who've gone through there and, and had various levels of success either within the OHL or, or within hockey. But um, that last team I had there, I would have went to war with every single one of them as far as the draft goes. And, uh, if I could have brought them all with me, I could have. I didn't have the equity necessarily at that time. And, and everybody's got to forge their own path too. Like it's, it's not always beneficial to follow somebody. Sometimes you want to make your own way. I mean, again, I, I mentioned before, but look at Kyle Craner, who's now the director of player personnel with the uh, Sarnia Sting. If he followed my pathway or if I'd taken him on, he'd still maybe be an area scout. So um, it's incredibly rewarding and it's incredibly, I'm happy for those guys that they, they took an opportunity that was presented to them. I was able to kind of help them a little bit but to be fair to them, they also grabbed the ball and they ran with it as well. So, um, yes, long answer to a short question. Yes, my, my thoughts were always kind of to be that way. Um, I wasn't sure how that was going to take effect. And, and like I said, I want to make sure I could at the very least cover expenses, cover hotels, make, take care of guys from that perspective. And, and when I was able to check all those boxes, then, then that was kind of something I leaned into and embraced. Yeah, that's that's great, and and you touched on a number of names, and of course I've I've heard many of them, and I work with Kyle, but uh, you know it's from the people that I've worked with there too, and interacting with you and everything, it was a number of great people, and it always seemed like uh, everybody that went through there was very dedicated, and you know uh, Matt Stewart's another one who I got to know, uh, you know just really 
helping each other along the way and it obviously uh, generated great results. Um, while working with the scout, you also had a stint with McKean's Hockey as our OHL regional scout uh, before going to Owen Sound. How did you start with McKean's and what was your experience like working with that brand? I think that McKean's was fantastic for me at the time and I, I don't really have a great connection to McKean's now so I can't speak to the success or failures that they have from a development standpoint or or, or their structure and such, but I can only speak to my time that I was there. Um, I was recruited to join there by Dave Burston, who's currently a, a pro scout with the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, Dave was kind of the first guy that, that, that really kind of took me under his wing uh, for no reason other than perhaps he saw something in me, which I was blessed by. Um, I'd always talk to guys, and I'd always be able to pick guys' brains and such like that, but Dave was really the first guy that kind of um, took me under my wing and allowed me to kind of uh, grow with, with self-confidence, grow with regards to my um, being, being more able to, to kind of stand, not necessarily stand out, but, but to make sure my rankings were my rankings and not kind of just parroting what other people told me, um, making sure that the write-ups were not just a generic kind of blah that you read everywhere. He wanted my write-ups to be unique. Um, and I, I can honestly say without Dave reaching out to me and without that experience at McKean's, uh, I don't know. I, I want to guess I probably would still be in the OHL at some point, just because that was a that was something that I was looking to do, and, and the offers were there. But I don't know if I would have been able to move up the ladder the way that I have because of the fact that Dave kind of uh, gave me a little bit of a boost of confidence, but also taught me a ton of stuff with just little nuanced stuff that you don't necessarily uh, do. And when you're on your own, you don't necessarily have a lifeboat sometimes. It's, in, in, the, in the hockey world and in the scouting. And he was kind of the, the first guy to give me that lifeboat and, and, and push me and didn't allow me to accept uh, average. He pushed me to be way more comfortable in my own skin and, and, and pushed me to, like I told you previously, just embrace yourself and your own thoughts and not allow the, the noise of others or the, the noise of, of outside opinions to slant you. You always have to be open to outside opinions. If, if, if you're not, you're you're almost destined to be stuck in your own rut, but uh, he empowered me to be incredibly um, aware of, of my own limitations and successes um, to, to live and die by my own sword, so to speak. And, and that was great. I was able to interact with uh, Gus Katsuros, who's now in Owen Sound as the uh, director of analytics. I was able to help Gus kind of come over with, with us in Owen Sound, but he was another guy that really kind of uh, helped me out with regard to detail level and in reports that I would, uh, in Gus's time in Keynes, and I do believe he's still there. He, for me, he wrote the most detailed, most factual based uh, scouting reports that I've ever read. A lot of what my reports now have a lot of what Gus kind of showed me with regards to that. So um, maybe for what the OHL, what the scout.ca was for some OHL guys, Keynes was for me, it was kind of like a finishing school. Where I, where I went to and learned the finer details. I, I was always good on generalities, but um, McKean's and, and Dave and Gus and those guys there allowed me to kind of bring in the finer points to, to put this polish on what was more of a raw tools and raw potential. And, and again, like I said previously, had I not had that experience, or that they not reached out to me and pushed me and not allowed me to, and, and sorry, and had kind of just, allowed me to accept simple, then again, I probably wouldn't be in this position that I am today. No, and, and a lot of people talk about similar experiences. You know, you, you have this initial experience, like you said, with the scout.ca where you, where you learn the skills, but 
until you get to that one position where really you, you take it to the next level, you know, you don't really know what the full potential is. And McKean's seemed to be that little, little bit of extra push. And the people that you were, you mentioned there uh, obviously taught you a lot um, through those interactions. Uh, so touching on maybe the advice that they gave you, uh, switching gears a little bit, what advice do you have for someone looking to uh, progress into the OHL um, you know, coming from a service, maybe touching on what happened uh, as you broke into the OHL with Owen Sound. Yeah, I think that, that that's a, it's a, actually a very layered answer, a very layered question that I, I'd love to get into. Um, I think the first thing, the first challenge that, that uh, we have with regards to scouts and hiring scouts is persistence. Um, and I need to say that in the right way. Um, I, I've lost track, and, and, and I don't mean this in a negative way to some, but I get a ton of people coming up to me in rinks, and I'm, I'm always happy to talk when I can about um, want to get involved, what do I have to do, but I don't see a lot of follow-up sometimes. Uh, and, and again, it, it's such a difficult thing to do because most people, and I think you, some of your guests have, have discussed this, and I know you guys have talked about this, you and your followers have talked about this on Twitter, but um, there's, there's, it's tough to, to push guys to be persistent and be doing around and be present when there's not a lot of financial gain. And in a lot of situations, it's financial loss. So it's a, I think that you have to find that perfect niche of being around, um, being vocal to an extent, being respectful, but at the same time, um, being self-confident as well. Uh, I, I touched on it with the previous answer, but I think my, my big turning point was when I became way more comfortable in my own shoes. Uh, I always, when I would talk to OHL GMs or head scouts and such, I was way more, I became more confident with, with pushing back a little bit and you always do it respectfully. Like you can't come in and tell someone, even though you might think it, that they're completely at lunch. You gotta, you gotta present things in a certain way that will challenge them a little bit and make them think that bad. And that's how you present value. Uh, that's how you present value to them. That's how you show your value. And, and the more you can do that and the more bonds you can build, um, the, the easier, not the easier it becomes, but, um, the more of a known quantity you become. And then maybe perhaps a little bit more of equity belongs to your name. So when someone says the name Ryan Stacy, Oh yeah. I, yeah. He's, he's a smart cat. He knows what he's talking about. So the more interactions you can have like that, the better. Um, but it's also a slippery slope because you don't want to become off too hard, too, too much. And you don't want to suffocate people. Um, it's, it's, it's a tough situation for some and I get it. Uh, the one tip I will give, and, and I think that this was a hard lesson for me specifically, um, you gotta be okay with being wrong too. Uh, you gotta be, you gotta be able to kind of have a mea culpa once in a while and say, you know what? I had this guy rated as a top three round pick. It didn't work out. That's on me. I give a ton of value to people who do that just because of the fact that it shows self-awareness and it shows that, that if you are unwilling to admit your own faults or admit your own bad reads. And Lord knows I've had probably more than anybody, then you're willing to evolve. And, and that's kind of, for me, in, in any walk of life, be it hockey, be it life, be it your, your full-time career, you got to be able to evolve. And, and um, I, I follow a lot of people on social media that, that cover hockey and cover the OHL draft that don't always talk about their misses and don't always talk about the, the failures that, they, that they've had. And, for me, if, if you do that, that brings equity to me because, I mean, it tells me that you are aware. You're, 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 you're harder on yourself than at somebody else's, and, and that's, for me, that's how you grow. I, 
uh, you know, in sound, I live and die by every pick we make. So uh, even though five guys make your team, it's a heck of a draft. If, if I miss on 10, it's, I, I, eat, I eat those ones way more than I eat on the five most successful list. Yeah, and and I I mean anyone in that position, and you know when you're you're really investing in those picks, you know you want to hit on every one, but uh, I'm sure other people can feel it. for every five that you get right, you know maybe the ten that you get wrong are the ones that you really want to work to improve. Um, so let's talk specifically about entering Owen Sound. Uh, how did you land that position, and maybe touch on some things that uh, happened early on and. Uh, just talk about uh, maybe did you find a transition period when you uh, had to maybe change your approach looking at a team setting as opposed to just uh, covering in general? Yeah, there's no question. It's such a different dynamic when, when you're in a team versus on the independent side. Um, it, it's kind of funny how it all played out. Dale DeGray was one of the first guys that ever reached out to me in the first year to encourage me. It turns out he kind of did the same thing when he was getting started in scouting after his career when he he kind of just threw his list around to NHL teams and Florida was, uh, he, he was able to get a job in Florida as an area scout and then uh, worked his way up to be now the general manager in Owen Sound. And I'd always kept a really good relationship with Dale over the years. And Dale had two very, uh, two very seasoned and two very accomplished scouts there with him for his whole time there. Um, so I just kept kind of going with, with your previous question. I just kept a good relationship with Dale. I kept, uh, tabs on him he would pick my brain on players if I thought he was a little bit off base I told him so in a, the best way you possibly can or if I thought he was right I told him he was right and he knew that he got the honest goods from me um, so summer one he lost Ian McClellan to the St. Louis Blues uh, who became the area scout there and then the year two he lost Brian Denny to LA Kings and then um, a couple of days after he knew that he lost Brian Denny uh, he gave me a shout and offered me a position with him that uh, was somewhat undefined, but would basically be uh, the the role of a head scout, director of player personnel. Um, as far as he always likes to have two people in that role in Owen Sound, so I would be one of his two. Um, but like anything else, so you're starting from scratch. You you gotta come in there and earn it. So I, I'd had conversation with two or three other teams that summer, and I was kind of convinced that uh, that was gonna be my next route as long as I got a position that I felt would. Would, would have some some bones to it, let's say, and have a little bit of bite to it. Yeah. Um, so, so once Dale made that offer and once um, I knew that um, I would have a, a very good say with regards to, uh, not even a very good say, but at least I'd have a voice and I wouldn't, uh, then that was kind of something I, I knew I kind of had to jump at. If it was another team that made an offer, maybe I would have been a little bit more uh, held out, not even held out, but a little bit more reserved about it. But the fact that it was Dale, it was somebody I already had a really good relationship with. Um, it was an easy, it was kind of an easy call for me to make. He made me an offer on Friday, and I think it was accepted on Saturday. So um, then, with regards to transitions, yeah, it's massive. Um, I don't think I an anticipated the differences with regards to um, working with the team versus working independently. Working independently, it's simple. And it's never simple, but you just make a list. That's all you got to do. And I think, honestly, my challenges in my first two or three years known sound were kind of flipping the switch on the way my brain worked. I was so used to just building a list and putting the next guy on there that um, it was kind of a struggle for me to kind of comprehend what the Owen sound attack needed was more important than what I thought was best. Yeah. And um, I think that we in the last two years have really, really dialed that in now with the point where there's a constant communication between the coaching staff and, and the scouting staff with regards to the style of players that we want. 
um, the attributes that we look for and such. And I think when I first joined the team and it wasn't anyone's fault other than my own, uh, I probably didn't take that into account enough. And, and uh, now with the fact that we have way more synergy there, and, and again, it's uh, something that I've kind of taken on that we, I mean, I'm, I'm in Owen Sound usually two or three times a month and constantly in communication with the coaching staff, with uh, Alan Letang, Jordan Hill, Joey Hishan, who's also the assistant GM with regards to just stylistically the type of players we have to bring in. And despite the fact my own biases and my own eye are drawn to certain type of players, if that's not what the coaching staff wants, then I have to discount those players. And, and you communicate that to all the new scouts coming in. And I, I think we've really gotten that down to the point where the last two drafts, we've been really happy with the, um, the, the guys that we brought in. And that might be just either we've gotten a little lucky, which always has to happen, or, or we've, we've really gotten the, the identity of our team down. We've created a nice synergy with our management team and our scouting staff and our coaching staff. Um, but that was such a wide, it was such an eye opener for me coming into it. I was so caught in the way I was doing things. I, I, I want to say I was probably eight years on the independent side where I was just so used to things being just a straight line uh, with no gray, with, with, with nothing else to to consider then well he's the next best player now it's so focused in on team identity and it's so focused in on bringing the coaching staff players they want because no matter how much you might like a player if he doesn't fit the style of play that the coaching staff wants to bring in it's it's not a pick that should be valued by the team the coaching staff are the ones who who dictate play they're the ones who dictate the style of play so if you're drafting against what your coaches want you're you're, you're fighting with one hand tied behind your back you might be able to find a couple players here and there but it, it's a futile effort. So that was my biggest challenge, just having that click in. And I, and I, in retrospect, looking back, I know that that was something that I struggled with for those three years. I think we're much better at it now. Always room to improve. But um, it, was, it was kind of an interesting thing that I never even clued in on. There's so many little nuances that you don't appreciate until you're actually in a position. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I, I, I even see that. Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm involved in different areas uh, than maybe your position. But there, there's that unity that you have to work towards and, and other scouts also speak to it uh, in their positions, whether it be a junior or an NHL level or beyond. You're, you're often, it's not just as simple as putting the list together, even though, you know, working with scouts at SCA, I, I can tell that's not the easiest job in the world, but uh, there's definitely another aspect that plays into it. Um, so everyone looks at scouting as a prime position in hockey operations, but it also involves a ton of work. Uh, I read in an article not long ago that you attended roughly 500 games this past season. Can you yeah. talk about your life as a scout <laughs> and uh, walk us through what a typical week or tournament weekend uh, looks like for you? Hey, let's, let's qualify that one a little bit, just so that way who, who aren't necessarily familiar with the minor midget schedule think that I'm, I'm somehow going to games, uh, like tripling up every day. It's it's when you're at when you're in minor midget, you go to enough tournaments, you usually can get to go see 11 or 12 games a night. So 500 sounds like a lot, but in the grand scheme of things, that's what we're all doing. Um, it, with regards to uh, a, a full week of, of uh, what my deal looks like, I'll be honest with you. It's, it's a lot of it's ad hoc. I, you try to get out to about five or six nights uh, at various levels in my position. I'm, I'm basically, you can catch me anywhere from Ottawa to Windsor to the States to London on, on any given on any given night, the, the, the more of the weekdays, the more you try to stay closer to your home base. But uh, you also need to take advantage of weekends 
and, and go up to Ottawa or go to the States or, or go to a place that we haven't necessarily seen before. It's on a, on a tournament weekend, like let's say if it's a Whippy Silver Six weekend, then you're basically there for four or five days. You schedule your meetings, um, things are that. But you also have to be make yourself available to the general manager in my position where I, during the season, I probably talk to Dale every day and we're talking about a multitude of different things. We're talking about, is this player ready to move up to our next level? Is this player rated wrongly? Is, is this player available for trade? Should we go after? Or here's a free agent that I've discovered. Let's go put a plan together to kind of uh, hunt this guy down or the import drafts coming up. Which player should we start? We should need to start building a, build a, building a list on this. Or we have a deficiency in an area for scouting. Who can you go recruit to bring in from, from that neck of the woods. So um, it, it's very ad hoc. As much as there's structure, there's no structure. You, you don't really know necessarily what's coming next. You can always anticipate and you can always plan. Um, my, I'm, I'm lucky that my brain's always kind of turned on. So I'm always trying to anticipate situations that we need to address or uh, be it an on-ice perspective or, or even just looking ahead to our draft grid. Like, okay, well, we're missing a second round pick in 2022. How can we resolve that? Or, okay, well, we have a gap in this birth year here. How can we resolve that? It's, it's, it's so random, but at the same time, it's, it's invigorating seeing kind of, you know, let's say for a, a draft, you put a plan together two weeks before the draft of these are the players we've identified. I think we can get this player here. We can get that player there. And when, when a plan comes together, it, it's, it's pretty rewarding to be able to kind of present that plan and then have things pull together. So, um, it's it's there's a lot to it there's a lot of balls in the air at any given time you have to be incredibly detail oriented which is something i'm not which makes things challenging but um you also have to be able to kind of just uh, anticipate things plan your schedules out know when you have to go see players x y and lock those in regardless of what's going on in your personal life and then kind of move things else around there as well because okay we all have personal lives we all have uh, girlfriends, wives, uh, kids that we have to kind of uh, bring along in this journey with us and, and being there for them and allowing them to be there for us kind of has to play a significant role in that too. Definitely. And, and you know, I think one, uh, one character trait that a lot of scouts have is, uh, you know, you got to be adaptable. You got to have a high level of adaptability because, you know, schedules change and sometimes you could be going to look at a player and then he gets pulled out of the lineup and next thing you know, you're jumping over the border to go down, go down to the States. And uh, it's almost like a, almost like an organized chaos, you know, during the season, you're trying to get to all the different areas and, and obviously you're working with a team, but there's also, you know, 19 other teams that are, or, you know, 19, 20 other teams that are working around you doing the same thing. So it's an ever changing <laughs> landscape, but uh, I, I know that uh, people like you and me and others in the industry uh, wouldn't change it for the world. Um, so uh, on the topic of scouting, OHL scouting, or really any form of say junior scouting can be difficult as you're dealing with players at a very young age and uh, they're in varying stages of development. Without going, without going too deep, uh, do you feel there's an extra amount of evaluation that needs to be done to help factor this in? Uh, or do you sometimes think you just have to maybe hope for the best and hope that their development comes along? Well, I think both are true, but I do think that 100% you have to flip your brain when you're, when you're scouting for the OHL versus for NHL. Um, for NHL, you're, you're obviously looking for what guys will be when they're 23 and 24, whereas with uh, the OHL, you only got at best maybe 18 months between the time you draft a player and the time they come in your lineup. Um, I know when I first started, that was one of my biggest challenges was um, 
not, I, I focus too much on how good they're going to be when they're 25 without focusing in on, well, what are they going to be at 17? Because if you're not good enough at 17, it doesn't matter what you can be at 25. Um, and that's, again, one of the challenges I think that we as an industry has in the OHL. Sometimes we, as a group, we can project too much and, and, and not embrace what a player is now. And uh, I've found that, that for the most part, Players are what they are when they're 16, 17, 18, and 19. You always have areas to improve. But for whatever reason, be it, you're 90, and, and again, this is probably, it's going to come off the wrong way, but um, you always, as long as your assessments are correct, I think you can project too much. And that was my biggest challenge starting off. So you, you, and you can look at the history of the OHL draft. You can say, oh, well, that first round guy never made it. That second round guy never made it. And it's true. That's why your assessments have to be bang on. But you got to be careful not to project way too much or worry about the, the NHL upside in a guy because if they're not good enough to make your team at 17, it doesn't really matter. So, so that's why with, with our team and our staff and we're doing, I, I, I try to focus in on, okay, well, what is the abilities right now? What's his impact right now? What's he do right now? Because odds are that's going to mean a lot more versus what he's going to become. Because if you look at the history of our draft and NHL drafts as you have it, when you project a guy to be, oh, well, he'll be a, he'll be a first round NHL draft pick when, when he's 15 years old. The amount of times it's been said, that's been said versus the amount of times it happens, pretty limited. So, so let's just worry about what he is today, what his attributes are today. If, if, his, if his deficiencies are, are too much for us, then we got to rank him accordingly. But if it's something small or, or if he checks three of four boxes, then we need to, we need to dial him in. We need to make sure we have him in the right spot. And he still might not be a guy that we, we, we target, but um, as, a, as, a, as a general rule, I think that we happen to be a way too focused sometimes on what a guy could be versus what he is. And I think that with regards to the OHL, that's imperative because like I said, you only got him for 18 months. So you, you can work as much magic pixie dust on players sometimes. It just it doesn't work. It's not like the NHL where you have millions of dollars and four, between two and four years with some of these guys before you have to make a decision on them. For us, it's, it's a tight 18 months. And sometimes if a player has too many issues with his game and we're projecting too much, he's just not going to have enough time to get there. And, 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 and we've seen that in ours. And, and luckily we've had some guys who were projects who've moved on to NCAA programs and are, are hopefully going to be able to kind of get their education taken care of and perhaps give themselves an opportunity to play pro one day. But for our purposes, we need guys ready within 18 months and, and, and ready to hit the ground running sometimes. So uh, for me, that's been a biggest, that was the biggest struggle and, and still is. And I think as an industry, kind of a bit of a struggle too. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's a great point. Um, continuing on the topic of evaluation, uh, you know, you, you started in 2007 with the scout and we're evaluating at that point and obviously still are today. Uh, do you see like a major difference in evaluating these players? And is there a difference maybe with video availability as well as maybe more opportunities for players to do off-ice training and just how do you see the landscape uh, of the players that you're scouting? How has it changed over, the, say, the last 10, uh, 10 to 15 years? It's, it's insane to think about the talent level that uh, we see now versus what we see before. And maybe that has a lot to do with the specialization of the sport, which you can have your pros and cons with. Um, but the difference is just from the play on ice, it, it's pretty impressive. Now, we're always going to have the elite guys, but I think the, the floor for an average AAA hockey player in Ontario is much higher now than it was uh, 10 to 15 years ago. I think that 
the players today are, are, are way more conditioned probably uh, the skill levels at a significantly higher pace. And, and I think that the changing demographics of hockey with regards to size, not being something that's nearly as important anymore has allowed us to, to raise the floor with regards to skill and allow more, more playmaking guys, more, more competitive, smart, skilled hockey players to, to get entry point into AAA and then conversely get entry point into the OHL, which uh, for me as a, as, a, as a skilled guy who appreciates that, likes to see that the way the game's trending, not just for the OHL, but for the game in whole. I think that, that there's, there's much more value in guys who compete hard with skill and smarts versus bigger guys who are, are lacking in both the, the skill and the smart side of things. Uh, there, there's always a time and place for that. And then 15 to 20 years ago, that's where the game was at and that's what was needed. But now, given where the OHL is, given where the NHL is, given where the NCAA is, it's, it's such a skilled game and it's such a quick game. It's such a smart game. You can't afford to have guys who are lacking in any of that. So um, seeing AAA hockey evolve from that perspective has been outstanding for, for me just from a pure enjoyment of it. Um, and, and with regards to video, yeah, it's, it's pretty impressive the amount of data you can get now without kind of leaving your, leaving your office. We were in our little preamble before recording, we were talking about the import draft. And just to give people a bit of a perspective on that, I bet you we probably had uh, video on probably 55 to 60% of the kids that were drafted this, this yesterday when the import draft happened. Uh, we do that via um, a third-party uh, program called Instat that provides us with uh, with video of, of players, and, and it's not perfect. Sometimes that when we get a name or, or when we, we want to research a name, it's not always there, but for the most part, it is there. And, and in talking to Instat and the guys there, they're going to make a pretty significant push for the minor midget and midget age groups. So um, wherever hockey is in a year with, with uh, the pandemic that we're in the middle in, we're, we're hopeful that if it means being in a rink or being limited in a rink, we're going to be able to have uh, video and data on guys from minor midget, from midget, from um, both both visually and maybe even maybe even analytically. We we do our own private analytics, but um, to have a third party present analytics of minor midget players would be would be incredibly interesting to see what would come from that. Uh, I don't know how projectable it would be. I'd love to see how it turns out. And, and I, I'm just speaking on my own. I don't even know if Instat's planning on this, but that's what they do for every other league. So I'm hoping they do this, but um, the evolving, <laughs> it was back when I first started, you had to kind of just go out there and ad hoc it. And now you're just given so many tools at your disposal just um, to get as much data on players as, as you can. And, and um, I'm a big proponent in, in information. So if you can get video, if you can get live eye, if you can get analytics, if you can get background checks on, on everybody, then the more data, the smarter you are. And, and as long as you value everything accordingly, I think that there's so much to gain from, from all this explosion in technology. It's just a matter of harnessing it the right way and, and encapsulating it into your daily life. I know there's a lot of old school guys who probably will be anti-video, but, and I, and to be blunt, I used to be one of them. Um, but, what video allows you to do is fact check what you think your eyes see. And, and when, when, for me, when both of them line up, that's good news. If, if one of them is off versus the other one, then that just means you got to dig a little bit deeper and you got to do, do probably do both more video and more on, on in I, and it's a great supplement and it's a tool that we've really kind of dialed in the last uh, three or four months, given where we are as a society from a health perspective. But um, I'm hoping that some of the habits we've developed over the last four months is going to, um, become a help us become a little bit more of a well-rounded staff. Uh, we we use uh, video a little bit last year, 
and and I I I still want our staff to be eighty to ninety percent in person, but um, if if we can kind of if we can kind of instill a culture where guys fact check themselves via video, that for me that would be such a such a gain for us, uh, and and I'm assuming would be a a gain for hockey as well. We give more kids opportunity who maybe we didn't quite see the first time, or if we got a bad read in person, we saw a great video, a great. Uh, follow up via video, then then it allows us to fact check ourselves and and to get in a better space from decision making standpoint. No, and you made a number of great points there on the evolution of modern midget, and you know just personally, I kind of jumped in there around the uh, the 2002 age group and getting to see some of the players at that age, and then uh, you know watching recently, just seeing us the trends change in that amount of time. So the last 10, 15 years, it's a it's a huge jump, and then the same thing with your scouting process, obviously. Uh, following a long suit and, and modernizing, whether it be use of video or whatnot. Um, so let's talk about one other opportunity you had. Uh, in June 2018, you uh, were able to help out with the Performance Development League as the general manager. Touch on that experience and your role during the summer of 2018. Yeah, that was, uh, it was kind of a fun experience. And it's a shame it only lasted one year. We were going to do it again this year, but uh, and given where we are with the world, it's kind of not a surprise that we weren't able to pull it off. But um, the goal of the, uh, of the OHL Performance uh, League was kind of to give twofold. Number one, it was to, uh, at a cost-effective price, to give local players in, in areas of Ontario. Uh, there was two when I did it. One was in uh, Mississauga. The other was in Whippy. I was uh, managing the Whippy location. Give uh, players of, of, of either double or triple A abilities, usually aged either 12 or 13, exposure to OHL level coaching, OHL level management, um, OHL level skill development. And, and it's, it, was a, it was a great opportunity for them to um, learn at the behalf of some of the, some pretty fantastic coaches. We, every, every session we had, we had one, we, had, we would usually have one uh, either assistant or head coach uh, and two or three players that are assisting. And, the coaches and players really embraced the, the teaching element of things. They, they made it fun. They, it wasn't a hard drill surgeon. They, they pushed the kids, um, but at the same time, they also made it fun and, and, and gave them some, some nice little nuances and tricks and, and, and such. And um, for, from my perspective, I was able to kind of be a spokesperson for the league, which is great for my own personal development, um, but, but also great just, just from an information standpoint. The, one thing with me, and I, I say this to every kid we draft, is is I don't like you got to make the best decision for you. If 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 you feel like the OHL isn't the route for you, that's fine. Just be educated when you make that decision. And and some kids who decide to go the NCAA route, uh, you know what? I, when they tell me that if we draft them, you know, you know what? Yeah, that's probably the better route for you. I'll use an example. Spencer Kirsten was a player we drafted a couple years ago. He was a a freshman this year, I do believe, in Princeton had a great year. And, and, and when he, we, we were ready to sign him, but he told me he was going to end up going into the NCAA route. I encouraged that because that was obviously a route he felt passionate about. And, and he had all the information possible to make his decision as opposed to just making a decision that he might regret. So I always viewed my role at the OHL uh, development com- camp was, was not as a shill, not as somebody who would sit there and, and tell you the OHL is the only route for you. Here's what we do for you, blah, blah, blah. It was it wasn't even that. I was just a sounding board for parents. And, and one of my benefits or one of my faults, and I learned this from Dale, uh, always be honest. Always be honest with everybody in, in every interaction you can get. So if a parent asked me a question, I would, I would be brutally honest with them. I would say, like, these are what we offer. This is kind of the situation. And, and, and the worst thing that I can say, given our interaction with those parents, is they were informed. 
So, so two years before their draft years, they already know what the OHL is about. They know what our education packages look like. They know what the life of a, of a kid looks like. Um, and, and it's just a touch point. And, and so now when they, when they go visit NCAA programs, at least they can, they can value themselves of what route they think is best. And if, if getting all information from both sides allows them to make a more educated decision either side of the coin, awesome. Then, then I always felt my, my, my role was, was done. So um, then, and, and to be honest with you, that was never anything that was even communicated to me from the league. The whole point of the league was, was to reach out to some local players and, and some local guys who um, had an interest in learning on perhaps learning from some of the more educated minds in the OHL. I took it upon myself a little bit to educate. Um, and, I, and, and the feedback that we got from the parents was, was pretty damn great. And kind of one of, the, one of the neat little things this year was the, the, the one age group that I worked with, Whippy, was up for the draft this year. So I get to see guys like uh, Ty Pichu, the fourth round pick in, in Flint, and signed his education package already. It was kind of fun knowing that he was one of the first graduates we had from that program. And now here he is with a potential, he'll definitely get games in next year. Whether or not he plays full-time or, or part-time will probably depend on how well he plays when, when the opportunity is given to him. But there's a player who was educated who, who we were able to kind of um, give him all the information we could at 13 and then made the best decision that was felt for him and, and kind of watching him come through that. Uh, I can't say how important that was from an on-ice perspective, but I know he was at every event. I know he was embraced with everything that we did there, and I'm hopeful that that was part of his growth. But, I mean, end of the day, every player is kind of responsible for their own growth. But I'm hoping that that development, that development camp was one of the tools he was able to use to kind of get to where he is now, where he's got some education money in the background, but he's also given him a chance to play in the OHL and play for four years and hopefully move on to the next level too. Yeah, it's, it sounds like a great opportunity. And, and like you said, it's a great opportunity for uh, the players and prospective players, obviously, them being younger, uh, to learn about the opportunity of the OHL and, and see if it's a fit for them. Um, on the topic of lessons, looking back over your career thus far, what are some of the major lessons that you've learned? Uh, be humble. 100% be humble. Uh, Dale DeGray always, when I first came in, told me to be honest. And for me, those are the two kind of things. Um, be humble in many ways. Be humble with regards to uh, your own status in the game because that thing changes so quickly. Uh, we saw what happened in Buffalo. There was a couple of really smart people in Buffalo that I was uh, lucky enough to call friends who are no longer with the Buffalo Sabres. And, and I, I mean, I'm biased, but I don't know if they ever did anything wrong in that situation. So um, the game can humble you sometimes. And I know those guys will get other opportunities in the game. That's For me, that's secondary. But it, it kind of just shows you that, that no matter how confident you may be in your own abilities or confident in your resume, confident in your thought process, things change so quick. Um, and you get, you got to kind of be ready for, for things that changing and um, with being humble with regards to your own history. Uh, my, I, I touched on it before, but for me, I'm, I'm way more honest about my worst pick than I am about my best pick. So for me, the only way you'd grow and the only way you, you get better at things is, is kind of, uh, ripping the scar tissue off and looking at your bat, looking at the bad, and and then that for me comes with humble. I think if you're if you're a very confident person who isn't able to look at yourself in the mirror sometimes, or isn't able to look objectively at your own history, you just assume you're great. Well, you're never going to get any better. So let's and that's not even a hockey thing; that's a life thing. But uh, I, I look at that history, my own history, and, and I mean, hockey has a way of humbling, anyways, because. <laughs> Like we touched on previously, you can have five great picks, you can have 10 failures. So if you're hitting 30%, you're doing pretty well. But um, every, 
I've just learned that the more in tune you can be with your own abilities and the more humble you are, the, the more you, you learn about your own failures, uh, the better you can become. And then just with regards to being honest, I mean, that's kind of always been something I have anyways. Um, I've always been honest with, with everything I've done. So I'm lucky that that's an attribute that kind of I feel is valued in this game. Um, I think that Dale DeGray has been in Owen Sound for 13 years now. It might be 14, might be 12, but I'm pretty sure it's 13. Um, and his biggest attribute and everything, I think everyone, what, what, what feedback I get from, from uh, people around Dale, people who talk to Dale is regardless of, of what you might think of him with regards to his ability, with regards to the way he manages, he's honest. I'm, I'm biased. I think Dale's probably the best manager in the OHL. That's, that's my opinion based on interacting with him. And, but again, I have my own biases with that. But he's taught me that, that just being honest, letting people know where you stand, sometimes that might hurt some, some, either some players or some agents' feelings. But I think in feedback I get with agents when I'm honest with them, they appreciate the fact that we're not stringing them along. We're not kind of holding them hostage with regards to how much we like a player or not like a player. When we tell them we like a player, they know we do because our, our past actions have suggested that uh, if we didn't like a player, we'd be honest about it. And, and again, honesty kind of plays into the first uh, word I said. If you're honest with yourself about your abilities, and if you truly are honest and, and not with your head in your clouds, you, it allows you to be better and it allows you to push yourself to become a much more in tune, scared, more in tune with your own biases, more in tune with your own um, maybe your lack of, of awareness with regards to players, or maybe you have a blind spot towards a certain type of player and not another. If you're not honest with yourself and if you don't hold yourself accountable and you're not humble with yourself, you probably just assume it's the player's fault you didn't make it as opposed to your own fault that you made a bad pick or you misjudged someone or you, you made a, a failure with regards to just properly assessing him. So those are two things that I think are, are, are big for me. There's more to it, but uh, I think those two kind of encompass everything. Yeah, those two key lessons are really uh, strong messages behind them. Uh, I totally agree with the fact that you have to be humble and, and honest, uh, even when, you know, maybe you're wrong or or whatever the case may be. Uh, you talked a lot about Dale DeGray. Uh, maybe touch on some other mentors you had and uh, how they maybe helped you get to where you are today. Yeah, no, two big ones in my life. Uh, Dave Burson was the person I touched on before, and I, I kind of – Tasted about with him. He pushed me really hard to be honest. And what we were just talking about before, um, just own your own opinion. Own, own, own what you can control. Uh, own uh, your own thought process, and don't allow the inputs of others, and don't allow hype to necessarily take over with your rankings. When I first started out, um, I would be in a rink, and I would hear five scouts from various teams. I was a sounding board for them, and they would tell me how great player X was or how player Y was. In my own brain, I would subconsciously, or maybe even consciously raise them up in my own rankings because well geez if this guy says he's been doing it for 10 years I must not know what I'm talking about and then sometimes they're right but a lot of times they weren't but I allowed my own type of um my own my own insecurities to kind of say oh well he knows more than me I'll just adjust and so Dave was the first mentor that kind of pushed me to say no no if you're gonna lose lose on your own terms if you're gonna if you're gonna fail at least fail with your own fail on your own merits so um, that was something he really pushed on. And then with, uh, Dale's been a massive mentor of mine for the last five or six years. Um, I, I, I don't think that there's any secret that, and, and we're not a braggadocious bunch of no and sound. Um, but I don't think there's any secret that we've had the success we've had. Um, I don't think there's any secret that, that Dale's had the success he's had from a, the smallest market in the OHL, but, um, probably fourth or fifth in North America with regards to graduating players in the NHL the last 10 years one or two, two franchises that had 30 wins the last nine straight years. 
Um, he is incredibly knowledgeable with every aspect of the OHL. And then I'm very blessed that I have somebody that I can uh, pull to with asking questions towards anything. I mean, I'll, I can ask him what this means. Like, what does this education do? What would you do in this situation? We had the import draft coming up. So he allows me to push him a little bit and he pushes back on me with regards to style of player or, or the type of player. Do we want an O2 left shot D? Do we want a O3 right shot D? And he takes me through a thought process um, with building a team and, and how we're best set up for success. And perhaps my thoughts don't always go along with his, but at least he gives me an insight of what his thought process is. And he's going to go on his gut and he's going to, but he also welcomes opinions from everybody. And, and again, going back to the be honest thing, he might tell you, he might disagree, but he'll give you that, that ability to, to pick his brain with regards to why he's thinking that way. He's been a completely open book with me. And I, and, and I mean, I talk about the NHL guys. I think if you look at Dale's history with regards to even staff moving up, he's had a ton of staff move up to, to higher levels with regards to the NHL, which is kind of what our role, most of our goals are anyways. So um, just being able to, I've learned so much from him over the last six years that, um, I'm way more self-confident. I'm way more aware. I'm way more prepared when I, when when we have discussions that that I I'm, I'm I feel like I've been able to improve my worth to the organization tenfold, but also be able to just improve my own knowledge and my own value in in hockey, whatever that may be, um, equally tenfold. So uh, I've been blessed to be around both those guys who who were really kind of key components in, in my development so far. I think it just goes to show again that, you know, the networking and everything is, is good for bringing up opportunities, but creating those relationships and really leaning on people and learning from them and, and sharing your insight is what ultimately uh, helps people progress and uh, in the game and outside of it. So it's great to hear that you had uh, two great mentors and, and people that you can call friends today uh, from the game of hockey. Um, just to cool up here, as I kind of ask everybody that comes on this podcast, uh, there's a lot of young scouts and other hockey operations hopefuls that listen to this podcast um, and people that are looking to maybe jump into the OHL. Uh, what, advice, what final piece of advice do you have for anybody looking to break into hockey operations at that level? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, we've talked a lot about it today, and I hope that they've picked up on a lot of the, the things that I kind of didn't pick up initially. But um, it's just – it's such a – in, in a sense that it is an old boys network and that's too bad uh, because somebody like me who didn't have any sort of background in the game, didn't know anybody. Um, it took me four years just to be even get close to being on the map to getting offers, but don't allow that to get in the way of your goals. Don't allow that to kind of cloud things and get yourself down. Um, as much as, as it used to be an old boys network, it's not even close to that. Now there's so many different opportunities for people to stand out. There's so many different opportunities now for, for people to, to grab attention. I, I'll use an example of a gentleman, Mitch Avis, who we hired, who another scout alum, that's the alumni, which yeah. I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't really, that wasn't part of our thought process when we brought him on. Um, Mitch was a guy who was persistent. We very, we, I didn't even talk to Mitch much um, before we hired him on, but I saw Mitch everywhere. I saw him working hard. And, and when I talked to Mitch, he, he was very smart, humble, not afraid to push back, but, but did it in the right way in the fact that he wasn't insulting, but he was just discussioning. It was just, I felt like he was comfortable in his own skin enough to, to have an opinion 
and not be swayed by my opinion, which for me is so important because I, I mean, in the OHL and in, in any scouting, if you're, if you're in the NHL, OHL, junior A, I don't know why any organization will hire somebody just to agree with them. Um, if, if, if you agree with them for the right reasons, awesome. That makes things easier. But the last thing anybody should want, and I'm sure there are organizations that, that subconsciously do bring this on, but the last thing anybody should want is a yes man. You want somebody to challenge you. You want someone to push back against you. You want someone to, to force you to look at things differently. So with Mitch, when I talked to him, I, I got that vibe from him. I saw him all over the place. Uh, and, and Mitch was very, um, very respectful. He didn't try to go over the top of things. He wasn't, he wasn't somebody who would sit there and, and blow faint praise up you. He was, he was honest. And, and because of that, we were able to extend him an offer and, and we were lucky enough he accepted and he was an awesome team member last year. And, and probably I, I, one of, I mean, we've, we've hired a lot of guys, but he was an awesome, he's for, for as far as the first year guy goes, he's right up there as far as the guys I brought on. Um, and I'll, I'll use another example from the NHL, Chris Henry, who's with the uh, Windsor Spitfires right now. He was an independent guy who, same sort of thing, would worked hard, was humble, um, probably could have been a little bit more confident when he first started out, but by the end of it was, was, very, was very confident, very self-aware, um, minded his own business, uh, went to work, and at the end of the first or second year he was doing it, was brought on to be a midget scout with the Windsor Spitfires, and is now way more involved with that organization than he probably even thought he would be. So... I, I think the overall messaging is be persistent. Don't, don't allow, um, if you have a bad day or if somebody says something to you negatively or if you're, if you're feeling as if there's no route for you, um, just, just be self-aware, be persistent, just be around. And, and I think that you'll find that the more you interact with people respectfully, the more self-confidence you have with, with being able to, to – um, provide honest feedback. And, and when I say honest feedback, if you think someone's right, you can say that too. But, but don't just tell someone that they know what they're talking about because you want a job from them. That No one needs that. So be confident in yourself. And, and, and if it takes four years for you, like uh, it took me four years before I even felt like I even knew what I was doing, um, which is probably why I didn't get any looked at me for the first four years. But um, don't expect Rome to be built in a day. It's going to take some time. Be persistent. Be out there be conversational but not over the top and let the cards fall where they may and 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 for me what my biggest takeaway from from this good that scene was it was fun like just being out being out with, with a group of guys and being out in in the rinks it was fun so for me the destination wasn't even really half that half wasn't really that important it was it was something that was always in the back of my head but in the moment I didn't really care that much because I was just having fun doing things and I think that if you embrace having fun, if, if you can build your own confidence up to the fact that you, you feel conversational, I know the guys in black jackets can be intimidating. They certainly were for me when I first started and, and I never, I was kind of the guy sitting in the corner and, and I, I felt intimidated even interacting with anybody. And everybody feels that way when they first start. Some, some less more than others. I was probably more in the shy part versus where I am now. But um, I think that if you can, can kind of develop your own confidence in, in your own voice, then you're going to be well off for it. And, and, and focus on the now. Don't focus on, oh, I've been doing this for three years. I haven't even got to smoke it. Well, I mean, it took me eight before I, even got, it, before I got a real offer. So um, the destination and the journey sometimes is worth it. And, and, and if, it's, if, if you don't get an end point there, you're having fun doing it. And, and if you're truly something you love and you embrace, the end point shouldn't matter. Like, it, things take care of themselves from that perspective. So 
I think we get caught up sometimes in where we're not as opposed to appreciating where we are. So if you just enjoy being out in the rink and putting lists together, being self-critical and, and being promotion when you can, just do that. And, and, and if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be, but don't get hung up on, on who's where, who's there, because I, I honestly think that sometimes you can lose focus on, on that and get yourself down and, and worry too much about what's not happening as opposed to appreciating what is happening. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and those are a number of great points. And I'm glad you touched on Mitch Avis's story. Uh, I worked with Mitch there for a while and got to know him. And I'm, I'm sure he's been doing great work with you guys, as you mentioned. And uh, as, as a lot of people work with scouting services and these independent uh, scouts, I'm sure they're going to really appreciate the insight that you provided. Uh, being someone that came from a, you know, a similar background and worked your way up. Uh, with that, Sean, I just want to say thank you for taking some time to come on the podcast. I really enjoyed the conversation and the amount of insight that you gave. And, um, you know, I hope that COVID is, uh, you know, hopefully it's no more very soon. And then you'll be able to get back into rinks and doing what you love. So uh, thanks again for coming on the podcast. Yeah, you and me both. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. It's going down memory lane and such. It's uh, always a fun time. And, and at this point, we've got nothing else to talk about, right? So I might as well kind of go back to memory lane because there's nothing right now. We're kind of just held, held in check. So uh, much like you, I hope that we can all get over this in a safe, smart way. We can all head back out to rinks, be it uh, six feet apart from each other, if that's what we got to do. But uh, it's been a fun little, little exercise here. And I'm, I'm glad that uh, you reached out. And I'm hopeful that uh, if one person gets something out of it, awesome. Yeah, for sure. All right, take care, Sean. Thanks, Ryan. I'd like to thank Sean for coming on the podcast and talking about his career thus far while touching freely on a number of interesting topics. I think Sean's path to the OHL is one that showcased passion and determination, which many listeners can adapt to and hopefully use to fuel their own progression moving forward. If you would like to get in touch with Sean to discuss his experiences further, I encourage you to reach out to him directly or contact Hockey Minds Podcast at Outlook.com and I can make that connection for you. Next, I will be releasing the episode featuring Brad Yetman, who I spoke with recently about his path to coaching at the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League level. Although I was originally looking to hold on to this one for a later date, once we started talking, some of the topics in which we touched on were, in my opinion, bigger than the game of hockey, and I personally feel that everyone should be able to listen to it right away, so look for that to come in the very near future. On top of that, We have more outstanding interviews being conducted and processed, and I'm very excited to share the number of impressive careers that these talented individuals have built for themselves. As a final note, I just want to say thank you to everyone for their support. Thank you for liking and following the Twitter account, and hopefully we can continue to build this moving forward. Stay safe, and all the best.